I remember the days of parent-teacher conferences like they were yesterday. It was so easy to conjure up images of the teacher from the Black Lagoon, planning the sad and dreary destruction of recess and free period. These were the days where I couldn't paint my own picture of school. Instead, I had to believe in the mom and dad cavalry enough not to fall victim to the report card beast, to enter in with their battle regalia, ready to defend their own. You know, I wasn't there to defend myself, and so it was really up to them. And what I didn't see was the privilege in that, their relationship, mother and father. Today we hear from parents without the same luxury, a mother and a mother, or a father and a father. New school years and teachers mean a new coming out process, an adjustment period to either hopeful acceptance or added frustration. And it's not just school that causes stress, it's marriage and adoption and the whole process of raising a family in a quagmire of legal uncertainty. But to the families in this hour, it's all worth it to be a parent. I'm Rick Lewis. You're listening to Way Out, the show about LGBTQ folks living in Alabama. In this episode, Anastasia is taking us to the challenges and triumphs of two families with two moms. It's 10,000 Daily Paper Cuts. When Amanda Schuber was in college at the University of Alabama, still unsure about what she wanted to do, she took the advice of a friend to apply for an AmeriCorps position in Denver. And I was about 21 at the time, 2021, when I went to Denver. And I was actually engaged to a man when I left. I think part of the reason I left was to run from that. Um, Someone I dated through high school and, and whatnot. And when I got there, I was part of a team. And there was a woman on that team that I became fast friends with. We were on a job. We had been working on the same team for several months and finally one night I said you know I really I need you I need to tell you that I'm attracted to you and she went thank God you finally figured it out you know she she had been out forever and and I was like well if you knew this why do you say something she said because you had to figure it out it's on your own you know and so so I did and I came out to my mom while I was there I called her <laughs> and her first response was I thought it was going to be your brother I guess she thought he was going to be gay I don't know he's so not but you know And I had a great mom. I mean, my mom was wonderful and didn't bat an eye. And I asked her years later, I'm like, what did you do when you hung up the phone? And she said, I just kind of sat there for a minute and went, well, that was different, you know. And and that's how my mom is. I mean, she has always been that person who just rolled with the punches. And so I think for her, she was worried about my safety. But that was it. After a year of change, she left Denver and came back to Tuscaloosa. I grew up in this town, so I had all these people that knew me one way. I didn't feel that way anymore. And so I went looking for my people. (laughs) She founded at Get On Board Day, an event where student organizations at the University of Alabama have tables and encourage people to join. I walked past the table nine times, and finally one of them noticed that I had walked by several times. they walked up to me and was like, hey, you know, you want to know who we are? And it was like, yeah, yeah, I do. I really do. (laughs) And way back then, it was really quiet. I mean, that was the first year I remember seeing the um, GLBTA out, which was the Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, Transgender Association, I think at that time is what the name was. They said, we should come to a meeting. Another friend of mine, he said, I'll go if you go. And I was like, okay. And so we went, and I just never looked back at that point. I ended up coming out on CNN 
because of that group, I blame them. Maybe in a little bit of alcohol. But uh, <laughs> we were, uh, it was my first, I had just been elected president of the group. And so we went up to Birmingham's Pride Festival. And I was like, okay, you know, we're here. This is great. You know, no big deal. My mom knows. It's all good. People on campus know. It's fine. And I gave an interview. I was approached by a Birmingham station and asked to give an interview. Best interview I gave him ever given in my life. I got home that night to a phone call from my mother saying, your grandmother knows your secret. You better come up with something quick. Apparently, a great aunt had seen the interview. CNN had picked up the feed. And she called my grandmother in Montgomery. And after that, I talked to my grandmother the next day, and I didn't talk to her for another 13 years. She told me I was not allowed to come home forever, really, at that point. And it was just one of those moments of it was awful to lose my family because I'm the first grandchild. I'm from a very proper Southern family. And so that was hard. But at the same time, it was the most freeing thing in the world because it wasn't on me anymore. It was all on them. If they chose not to be a part of my life, that was on them. And Amanda kept trying to connect to her grandmother during those 13 years. I made myself present in her life, even though I wasn't present in the family. I sent Christmas cards. I was always present. My mother, you know, my mother had to come out too in a way because she lost her family in that as well because she was not going to abandon me. And I mean, my aunts called her and said, you've got to make Amanda not be gay. You surely can put a stop to this. And my mom was like, no, that's not really kind of how this works. My grandmother called me one time and she said, Amanda, I've decided you can't be gay. And I went, okay, how does that work? And she said, you're just too pretty. And I'm like, well, I'm glad that's what you think and still gay. Yeah, it's just one of those things. So I often say that I take the credit for helping my grandmother find God because she had never been religious until I came out. And suddenly she was at church every other day. And But funny enough, it was at church where she met someone who had a gay grandson. And that was the turning point for her. And so it was meeting someone her age who had a grandchild. And this woman apparently was scolded her more or less, and said, you you can't turn your back on family. You don't have to agree, but you you can't. It was still a hard road, but she's she's come around, and now she asks about my wife all the time, and she loves the grandkids, the great-grandkids, and so it took time. Amanda met her wife, Wanda, in college. They dated a while at the university, parted ways, and found each other again years later. Amanda didn't think that marriage would ever be an option for them. I never thought we'd see it. I never thought Alabama would get it. I certainly thought we would be the last. We were really close to being the last, but we weren't. We got married the day marriage became legal here, which is funny that I don't even know what day. It was February something, February 2nd or 4th or something like that, two, three years ago. I don't know. I consider we've been together 10 years. You know, the other was just paperwork. They had a wedding here in Alabama. And my grandmother came. So that was a big step. That was a real big step for her that she came to that. My wife is Wanda. She is. Uh, she was raised in a small town in North Alabama. Very farm family, very, very conservative. Her daddy still loves uh, Bill O'Reilly. And they love me. First time I met them, they didn't speak to me. And I cried when it was all said and done. I told Wanda, I was like, I've never met anyone I can't charm. What the hell is this? And she said, I told you it would be hard. But they've all grown close over the last few years. 
Now, Amanda and Wanda live outside of Huntsville, raising their two kids. We live in North Alabama, small little town on the Tennessee line. The KKK is right down the road. We have three kids. We have an 18-year-old stepdaughter who was the birth daughter of Wanda's previous relationship. She's in the Air Force. She just graduated from Air Force training. And uh, then we have Addie, who is seven, and Brayden, who will be five next month. And we're busy. We are always busy. We do soccer and you know, horseback riding, and we're involved in our church. And we're the typical American family. We just have two moms. Yeah, we're kind of boring, to be honest. Our idea of a good time is, you know, we put the kids to bed and we watch Netflix and try not to fall asleep. That, that's about it. Amanda and Wanda had their youngest two children together. We had a donor. We had an anonymous donor. We went through seven attempts with Addie. We told my mom, and that was it. And we didn't tell Wanda's family at all until we were pregnant and solidly pregnant, like, I was thinking three months along, and we went to Cracker Barrel. We took them to the Cracker Barrel, and Wanda's dad is older. I mean, he's in his 70s. Wanda said, well, Amanda's pregnant. And he went, well, how did that happen? I was like, oh, God. And so, you know, we had to kind of explain the process, and they did, they did okay with it. Throughout the pregnancy, they got mixed reactions from people. The invasive questions came a lot because people wanted to know, How'd you get pregnant? But when I was pregnant, it was like constant. Everybody was like, how does that happen? And I'm like, well, how does it happen in a straight couple that doesn't go a traditional route? Same way. You just kind of got used to that. You know, we would get the questions. Just, so Wanda's not a real parent, right? And it was like, nah, she, she's real as they come. They decided to have another child after Addie. We had the same donor for Brayden. Took us a little bit longer with Brayden, actually. I think we went through nine attempts. And that's emotionally just horrible to go through that. And actually, the last attempt, I'd said we weren't going to do anymore. And Wanda said, one more time. Just, just one more try. And then we got Bray. It was funny because my biggest concern was finding a doctor, an OB, that was okay with this whole two-mom thing. And we found a great one. And it was funny because the nurses, like when we went to the hospital to have them, I think the nurses were more excited than anything because here you've got this two-mom family. And it was clear that we were a two-mom family, but they were great. I kind of moved through the world like I belong. And so I just don't, it never crosses my mind. Well, it crosses my mind all the time, but I never let it appear that it's crossed my mind that this is out of the ordinary. And so I went in ready to fight. You know, I went in ready to be really combative that, okay, you will let her be in there to give the bath and you will let her be in there if there's a C-section. And I didn't have any problem. I mean, they were like, smooth as could be. And now they're just a normal family with two moms. Most people just roll with it now. Once they figure it out, because we don't make a big deal of it. It's just like, oh, I'm Amanda, Addie's mom, and this is Wanda, Addie's other mom. And they'll kind of give you a sideways glance and go, oh, oh, okay, I get it. And then they just move generally right on. So we've been really lucky. We haven't encountered too much. But then I'm always up for a challenge. So, you know, if we did, I'm ready. I'm ready for it. And although they've been lucky, there have been many challenges. 
The 10,000 daily paper cuts. That's what I call it. It's not the overt oppression that gets me. It's not the hateful things that people can say. It's the small little slights that wear you down. That's what does it. It's the, the assumption that when people see my wedding band, they ask me what my husband does for a living. And so then I have to make a choice. Do I say, oh, well, my wife is an engineer? Or do I say, oh, my spouse is an engineer? I don't use pronouns most of the time. And you know, people don't notice it unless they either are LGBTQ or they have a family member who is. Right now, the vast majority of our friends that have little kids are straight. And they're wonderful people, and I love them, but they don't get a lot of the same challenges that we have. They don't understand why I get wigged out at the beginning of every school year because we have to meet a new teacher and we have to come out again. Or anytime we have to go meet a new doctor, it pisses me off to fill out forms that have dad or father written on them, and I have to scratch it out and write mom, you know, and they don't get how challenging it was for us and how financially draining it was for us to have to have Wanda adopt our children. Yes, you heard that right. Adopt their own children. Because back when they were born, she couldn't be on their birth certificates. And, you know, and how much I worried, because I travel for work a lot, and how I would have panic attacks every time I would get on the airplane because if something happened to me, legally, Wanda had no right to the kids. And it was like, what will happen? If I was in a car accident with the kids, she wouldn't have legal rights to any of us. You know, so we had to travel with paperwork all the time, and, and that even wasn't solid. We had it, but even our lawyer was like, this isn't a guarantee. I had a will, I had directives that my mother had copies of, my in-laws had copies, everybody who I thought needed a copy and even some people who probably didn't had a copy. After Amanda and Wanda were legally allowed to get married in Alabama, they found a lawyer in Huntsville and started the adoption process. And so it was just a bunch of paperwork. It cost us around $3,000, maybe a little more, to go through the process. So all this paperwork, we had to get affidavits signed and notarized. We had to run an ad in a paper looking for the father. It's a process and it is a big pain in the ass, really, and expensive. It's really expensive. I would much rather have spent that money on something else, like their college fund. It is what it is. And, and people were shocked. They were like, you have to adopt your own kids? What is that about? Finally, last July, they got a court date. Finally, finally, we finally got a court date to go see the judge, and they signed everything. He signed off on everything, and, you know, we've got the affidavit stating that she is their legal parent, but we don't have their new birth certificate, so we can't get, like, we can't get a passport. Uh, we could with what we have now, but it wouldn't have her listed on it. Towards the end of her time with Amanda, I asked her what she wanted for her children, what world she wants them to live in. Here's what she said. I want it to not be so damn hard. I really do. You know, people ask me all the time, well, do you want your kids to be straight or gay? And I'm like, I want my kids to be my kids. I want them to be happy. If I had my way in my perfect world, we could just be. We could just be okay with each other. And I still struggle with that. I still struggle with trying to understand what my identity has to do with the guy sitting on the bus next to me. But it does matter. It matters 
in our political sphere, but it matters to me too because it shapes my life. And people who say, oh, you know, it shouldn't matter that you're gay. Well, no, you're right, it shouldn't, but it does. And until we recognize that identity is important but not the sole measure of a person, it's never going to change. And that's the hard part. When people tell me, oh, you're, you're a gay mom. No, I'm a mom who happens to be gay. I want it to get to a point where gay is just one piece of the puzzle and that everybody recognizes it's just one piece of the puzzle. I'm a mom. I'm an activist. I'm a wife. I'm a really bad driver, you know, <laughs> a really impatient driver, I should say. And, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm gay, too. That's what I want for my kids. I want them to be all the things they're going to be and let that be their identity. I don't want them to be the kids that had two moms. I want them to be Addie and Brayden and Samantha. And I think when our world gets to that point, that's when we will have won. For the second half of our show today, we turn to Brandy and Linda, a married couple in Tuscaloosa. Stay with us. I am Brandy Heitch. I'm born and raised in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I am married to a woman. And I am Linda Heitch, and I was born in a small town about an hour and a half northwest of here, but I've lived in Alabama all my life. Brandy and I have been together 18 years. We've been married three and a half. It's funny, looking back now, if you count every single one of my boyfriends, every single one of them's gay. Like, every boyfriend I've ever had in my life, and in elementary and high school, they're all gay now. This is true for the father of Brandy's son. Brandy told us about what happened when she came out to her mother after she had Zach. And his father um, was still living with his parents, and so she called his parents and told them, and there was this big thing and crying, and they were talking about taking Zach away from me, and that was really hard, but, you know, we eventually got over it. And, you know, Zach's dad is gay, too. I mean, he just wasn't out to his family at the time. And that's, you know, how we have Zach. Brandy and Zach's dad were best friends in high school. Both of us not wanting to be gay, wanting to be straight, so we decided to try to be straight uh, with each other. So we experimented and tried, and it obviously wasn't successful. But we did get one beautiful thing out of it. We got our son. If it wasn't for that, I probably wouldn't have ever been a mother. And, you know, I'm really thankful for that. And he actually said, let's get married. You know, let's have a kid together. And, um, and I told him no. I mean, because I knew that it just, it was, a, it was going to be living a life of a lie. We continued to be friends, and then we, you know, together raised Zach. He would get Zach every now and then and watch him on the weekends, um, spend time with his family, that sort of thing. But I knew, when I had Zach, I knew that he was going to be mine, and I was going to keep the child and raise him. I tried very, very hard to live a straight life. It, it hurt me more because I knew I was just lying to myself. I was living a lie and I wasn't happy at all. And I knew that it, the only way I can be happy is to live my true self. And, you know, really I felt like I owed that to my son. You know, I didn't want to live a lie and be miserable my whole life just to have a conventional family to raise my son in. The only way I could be truthful and honest and raise him in an honest life is to come out. 
And then once I did that and started trying to meet other people, and the only person I've ever been in love with was Linda. I mean, I've had a few dates before I met her, but never really anything else. Linda grew up in the 80s, and she knew she was gay from an early age. Looking back, I know I was gay when I was in second grade. I remember there was a little girl named Laura, and I just, we were just the best of friends, inseparable. She had to move at the end of the school year, broke my heart. When I was in, I guess about between fifth and sixth grade, that's when I came to put a name to the fact that, hey, I'm gay. And I went through a really, really tough time. It was years of this idea that, you know, there was something wrong with me, that I was going to hell, that nobody would love me. I went through years of depression and isolation. And that really didn't end probably until I was in my early 20s. Yeah, growing up in the AIDS epidemic and the idea in the 80s that, like I said, the backlash against the AIDS community or against the gay community really because of AIDS, it was, you know, tremendous, like I said. And I was very well, well aware of what was going on. And I know that for me, although I wasn't a gay male, that backlash was enough that it was one of the factors why I did stay in the closet for so long. It was to the point where I was I was afraid. I was afraid for myself, for my safety. Not only that is, like I said, in you know back then, if you were to come out, they could consider you mentally ill. It was grounds to send you to a, a mental facility because it was considered still considered a mental illness. It definitely, I guess, would you say, clouded my perceptions of a good coming out, where you know I'd come out and everybody'd be happy and whatever. Even when I did come out, I didn't foresee it being a happy occasion. I was still worried that it would be, you know, that there would get a lot of backlash. Linda waited to come out. She didn't do it until she was in her mid-20s, starting with her sisters, who were supportive. Like many siblings, they said they already knew. She and Brandy met several years later. They were at a gay bar that used to be in Tuscaloosa called Michael's, and they hit it off right away. I don't know. There was just something there. I just knew. I just knew. From the beginning, I remember we had been dating a month. That's when I first told her that I loved her. And we went on our first cruise. It was for Valentine's. So we met in August of 99. And then the cruise was for Valentine's Day. And we were on the cruise, and I asked her, I was like, will you marry me? And she was like, uh, let me think about that. (laughs) So then we moved in with each other in March, a year after that is when you said that you wanted to think about getting married. But then, of course, we didn't have that option. Then we had to justify, we wanted to buy a house, so we we were going to buy a house together. So we didn't want to go through the money hassle of planning a, a ceremony because, you know, we wanted to have a house first, so we bought the house. And then after we bought that house, we were like, well, we can get married this year, or we can, you know, do an upgrade to the kitchen, or we can, you know. Because really, it was just a symbolic thing. We didn't have that option. They were doubtful that marriage, legal marriage, would ever be a possibility for them. And Linda even said in the beginning that she never thought that gay marriage would ever happen in our lifetime. I had always hoped that it would. I'm more optimistic than she is. But she's like, no, we'll never, it'll never be legal for us. And then as times were changing and 
things were happening and it was legal, we decided to go to Washington, D.C. and we got married on the steps of the Jefferson <laughs> Memorial. It was a beautiful ceremony. My brother and his family was there and we had some other best friends of ours that came up. That was kind of a really magical day because it was kind of rainy and dreary and um, it kept sprinkling. We're like, oh no, we're gonna get rained on, we're gonna get rained on. And it was a little cold and then right before the the ceremony started, the clouds just kind of parted and the sun came out and it was, it, you know, it turned out to be beautiful. Funny story about that day, I had had nightmares going up to it because it was in such a public place that we would have people heckle us and say mean things. So as we were getting married, right before she says, you may kiss your bride, there's a school bus that had let out and they were walking right past us as the minister was saying, um, you may kiss the bride. And I kind of looked at Linda and stepped back and I was like, oh no. She tried to run. <laughs> and uh, So she just grabbed me and pulled her to me and we kissed and the crowd just cheered. So that was, that was pretty awesome. Even before they got married though, Brandy and Linda were already raising Zach together. Like I bought him this book, Heather Has Two Mommies. And so we sat down with Zach and we read the book and we colored it together and we talked about it. And so Zach has always, since he was, could understand, knew that he had two mommies and knew what it was about and like. And I've tried to, you know, have open conversations with him to make sure that he was okay and to let me know if you're ever bullied. And amazingly enough, he wasn't ever bullied and no one really made fun of him that I'm aware of. If they, if they did, then he didn't tell me. I'm the big mama of the group, so all the kids came to my house. I mean, we had slumber parties every weekend, and I would do big things for the kids. When Zach started school, his moms decided to send him to a private one. And so being in that environment, we, you know, was always really careful. Like, she would show up, we would show up. We never, ever showed any PDA. Never really said, well, this is my partner, this is my wife. Of course, once we made some really good friends there, we kind of told them. Zach was in private school until he was in fifth grade. Then he moved to the public school system, and he was in the band, and we would attend the football games, and we would attend functions at the school, and everybody was always, you know, just really warm and, you know, and welcoming. But always, it's always there in the back of your mind. You're always there waiting for the look or that somebody's going to, you know, say something. It's still, it's still there. What Brandy and Linda want people to know is that their family is not that different from anyone else's. I'm not sure that it's any different raising a child anywhere. I mean, whether it's in Alabama, whether you're in you know New York, or whether you're a gay couple, whether you're a straight couple, you have, and, that, and I explain this to people, I mean, you have all of the same problems, all of the same worries, you know, how's that good doing in school? Is he healthy? You know, am I, am I being a good parent? Did I ground him? Was I too strict? Did I yell at him too much? Did I not yell at him enough? Did I give him really good solid advice? It's all, you have the same worries that any person raising a child has. Just, there is no difference. Basically it's carting them from baseball practice to basketball practice to soccer practice to, it's just tag teaming with each other to be able to take care of the children and their needs. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think that that's any different whether you're straight or gay. Yep. 
They've been soccer moms and hosted slumber parties and made sacrifices just like any other family would do. At one point, we were working opposite shifts because she worked 11 to 7 at night. You know, she'd get home like late in the morning and she would sleep and then in the afternoons I would have to tag team him to baseball or soccer or and then we'd get home and then she would help with the homework and then it was dinner and then we'd get some family time together before he had to go to bed and she had to go to work. That's basically how our day was and our it was our days and our weeks and we took vacations and we were just a normal standard family just having to be two women. Yeah and I felt like too being a parent to him with the extra criticism that we have people looking down on us, I felt like I had to be better than the average parent. I had to go above and beyond. If they wanted some treats for Teacher Appreciation Day, I made tons of treats, you know. I was always felt like I had to be better than the average parent just because I had this other flaw, if you say, because I'm a little different. Zach has grown up and gone off on his own. When we interviewed Brandy and Linda, they were getting ready to become grandparents and lots of their friends all across the board ask them for parenting advice. Well, we all tend to um, look out for each other and help each other out. There's other friends of ours who now have younger kids, and as they were getting ready to have their kid, they would call me and be like, Brandy, what do I do in this situation? Or, so we just rely on each other. We have so many different friends that are at different stages in life, and so I would call my friends with their older kids and get their advice, and my younger friends with their younger kids would call me and get my advice, and we all lean on each other. And we're fixing to be grandparents, and you know, these are our godchildren, and we have worked for almost 30 years. I said, you know, I paid my taxes, and you know, I'm gonna retire, and I'm gonna travel to Florida, and I want to go to Europe. Those are all the same things that every single person, individual, family, dynamic, we're all the same. This piece was produced by Anastasia Tidorinko and me, Rick Lewis. A big thanks to Amanda Schuber and Brandy and Linda Heitch for being a part of this. Our theme music is All the Colors in the World by Pottington Bear. Other music used was Last Dance by Jazar, and Bagged, A Gentleman, Cloud Bank, Box Canyon, We Make a Good Team, Paper Boat, and Outmoded Waltz by Pottington Bear, who also did our credits theme, Colicate. Special thanks to Dr. Rebecca Ballard, Andrew Grace, Chip Brantley, Allie Thomason, the University of Alabama Honors College, and the Sanford Media Center. If you like what you heard today, share this with someone you know. You can find our page on Facebook at Way Out Alabama Podcast. Please like, share us, and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening.